open in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. We're going to be picking up from last week. We know that, as I said last week, Jesus, in going to Jerusalem, he wasn't just going to Jerusalem to address the Jews, the Israelites. He wasn't just going to Jerusalem to address Jerusalem. He went specifically three times last week to one particular place. Where was that place? The temple. Jesus needed to address the the things that were supposed to be happening in the temple were not happening. The temple was not functioning the way that God intended it to function. And we saw that Jesus went into the court of the Gentiles and he drove out the money changers. He flipped over the tables. He was very upset. Why? Why is a good question. Because what the temple was intended for, what God intended and his purpose for the temple and the process of worship, what it was meant to be, they had changed. It wasn't what it was supposed to be. God wanted an avenue for people from any nation in the world to come and to seek him and to be able to know him. And instead of that being the case, they set up in the area, the court of the Gentiles, where anybody who was a non-Jew was able to come to worship or to, to seek God. Instead of having this area where these other people could come and seek to know who God was, they set up shop, business, big church, corporate, money. And they started making money. And Jesus drove them out. That's where we're going to pick up. He addresses the issue of the temple and how it was not what it was supposed to be any longer. And now Jesus, in this chapter 12, we're going to see seven confrontations or seven times that he worked through with the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes what their problems were. And to some degree, correct them. And as we look at these things this morning, these seven things, we're going to look at sub-three points we're going to see through this chapter. We have to remind ourselves that this isn't just to these people, you know, a couple thousand years ago. These words are for us today as well. Whatever side of the road you find yourself on, whether you're a non-believer, you're curious, you're a seeker, or you're a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus wants you today to come to the place where you would grow in the knowledge of who he is, that you would have that relationship with the Father restored like the original temple was, was intended, was meant to be. He wants you to engage with your father today, and not just today, tomorrow and this week, in Jesus' name. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, God, that when we are scared of confrontation, when we are afraid to address things that are happening, you never are. You hold people accountable. When things are not going the right way they should, you, you address the issue. We could be confident in our relationship with you that, that you will address the issues of our own hearts, 
personally. And God, we want you to. We don't want to go on without having these things addressed and be blind to the, to the issues of our heart. You are righteous. Show us, teach us, so that we can be like you. And Lord, guard our hearts that they wouldn't get hard like we see some of these individuals, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. We love you and we ask these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to pick up in chapter 11, verse 27, because it sets us up going into chapter 12. And it is the first of the seven things, like I mentioned, that we're going to look at this morning. Then they came to Jerusalem, and as he walking into the temple... The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority to do these things? But Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. (coughs) So they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is the, the verses that we ended with last week. Picking up this week, these next seven things that we're going to look at, this confrontations, Jesus addressing issues with these people, this is the ruling body uh, over the Jews at that time. They're called the Sanhedrin, 71 elders that are appointed in a position that will rule over the people. In that 71, uh, there's three types of or three classes of people that that could be part of that body. One is the Pharisees, the second is the Sadducees, and the third are the scribes. They uh, worked together. It was very political, unfortunately. And now they're coming to Jesus, knowing who he is fully, seeing the miracles that he's done, They should be in a place where they're willing to accept and receive him as the Messiah because they're expecting the Messiah, but they're not. They're coming to challenge him. They're coming to test him. They're coming to tempt him. And this is one of those those portions of Scripture that we just get to see Jesus take people to school. (laughs) Don't you like to see when people get school? Like, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. I, I don't really like it. Maybe a little bit. But Jesus is like, this is what's really going on. Like they can challenge him. By what authority are you doing these things? Well, let me ask you a question. What about John the Baptist? Now, why is this significant for Jesus to ask? If you remember, Jesus went out to John the Baptist, and he was baptized by John the Baptist. And what happened when that took place? The dove descended, the spirit descended on him, and the father spoke from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus answers their question by asking this one very simply, where did Jesus' authority come from? It came from 
specifically the day that he was baptized, and God the Father gave him the authority by saying, this is my son who am I, I'm well pleased, and here is my spirit upon him. He answered the question. But they, in their political meanderings are thinking oh how, how are we supposed to respond to this if we say this and the people love john it's a popularity contest so if we go against the people they're going to be upset and it's political it's baloney it's garbage i used to really like politics does anybody like politics i used to want to be an attorney could you see me in a suit That's what, that's what a guy said to me, too. My, my professor, who was a corporate attorney, he said, don't do it, Tim, you'll, you won't last. No matter what kind of attorney you, you would be, you, you have to lie. Your interest is in that party that has hired you, whoever it may be. Anyway, I'm not here to dog politicians for too long this morning. The political element of what was happening made it so that and we saw last week as well that people couldn't engage uh, with God the way that they were supposed to. Everything was measured and adjusted. The people who were in the ruling party, they, they made decisions based on not what was good for the people or what was good for God's will, but what was good for themselves. That's how they, that's how they addressed things. Where does Jesus' authority come from? It comes from the Father. They know that, and he tells them, if you can't answer a simple question, then I'm not going to answer you. But in saying that, he does answer the question, number one of the seven, authority. Number two, accountability. You know where there's an authority, there's always an accountability. There has to be, right? Otherwise, things would get really messed up. And, and people, who knows what would be true, what would be false. There has to be an accountability. Chapter 12, verse 1. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it, dug a place for the wine vat and built the tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent them another servant, and at, at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully treated. And again, he sent another, and him they killed, and many others beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, they will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers, give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Jesus bringing the real. Accountability. Everybody needs it. 
Jesus is saying, hey, let's look at this word picture, if you will. It was very common in that day for landowners to lease their land to have people cultivate it, especially in the farming sense like we see here. Very common. So they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. It wasn't far-fetched. It wasn't some story that he kind of conjured up out of nowhere. This was very common practice, and, and many people would experience something like this. But look at the severity, look at the severity of the situation and the fact that the, the, the owner of the vineyard, he responds with such grace through the whole thing. He sent in his, his first servants, they, they mock him and send him away. The second one, they gave him a concussion, got knocked on the head, send him away, sends more people, they're killed like the prophets of the Old Testament, murdered. And then he says, if, if I'll send my son, who's, who's the son? <laughs> He's standing in the midst of these rulers of the people, these religious hierarchy, as the son of God. Could you imagine? As the son of God, telling this story to people. And they can respond in one of two ways. Yeah, maybe this is the son of God. Maybe we do need to think about, you know, readjusting some things. Or, as we see, their hearts were hardened and they rejected Jesus. And Jesus, knowing that, quotes that psalm. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and it was the, this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. They sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude. That, that it was not talking about praying for him. Lay hands on him and pray for him. It means like, uh, lay hands on him to hurt him. They wanted to kill him. Jesus. Jesus has the authority, but they want the authority. Isn't that kind of how it is in the world, too? Everybody wants authority. Like, even, even you. <laughs> even me. There's certain things where I want to be in charge. I want to have the authority in. But really, I have no authority whatsoever that hasn't been given to me by God that I'm going to be accountable for. Think about this this morning. I know that it's a little bit uh, removed from our text, but what authority has God given to you that you're going to be held accountable for? What kind of job do you have? Family mothers, fathers. You have the ability to do good, but you choose not to. Now, I'm not saying that this is anybody in, in particular here today besides me, because I have issues, and I'm constantly in a place every day where I'm asking the Lord, how can I be a better steward, God, of what you've given me? How can I uh, be accountable now, today, without being held accountable later? Does that make sense? When we hold ourselves accountable, it's always better than when somebody else has to hold us accountable, right? We don't want anybody else to say, hey, listen, you're not, you know, this is what you're supposed to be doing, you're not doing it. No, I don't want anybody else to say that to me. I want to say that to myself. And then on the spiritual level, what authority have you been given to have a relationship with God? I mean, that's a privilege that God's given us, an honor. And do we use it as much as we're supposed to? 
You know, are we going to get to heaven one day and, and, and say, God, here I, I had a good life with you, and, and, and being a Christian was awesome, and I love my church family, but I have a few things I wanted to talk to you about that I was concerned when I was on earth. You know, you know it's not a big deal now, but hey, here's a few things, this, this, and that. You know, why did you let those things happen? He said, why didn't you ask me then? Why didn't you talk to me then about it? Why didn't you pray about it? Because it's all too often that we as Christians will talk to other people or try to figure it out ourselves instead of just going right to the throne and saying, God, what's going on? And I don't mean in the sense of like, God, what's going on? I mean like, hey, God, I I need to talk to you for an hour about this. I need counsel from you right now. I want to take advantage of this privilege, this honor of having a relationship with you. Please help me work through this season that I'm going through right now. We have to be accountable today so you don't have to be accountable later. Here's the first uh, discussion, disagreement, if you will. Very interesting. Verse 13, then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. When they had come, they said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one. (coughs) Excuse me. For you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? Listen, look, look at this. But he, knowing their hypocrisy. We've got to pause there for a second. I think that the word hypocrisy is misunderstood today. A lot of times I hear people talking about the church is full of hypocrites. Listen, I'm sure that there's some hypocrites in the church. But the, the word hypocrisy means to put on a show, put on an act. You're an actor, Right? When you see somebody who's an actor in a movie, do you think that that's how they really are in real life? No, unless they're typecasted like that one guy that did The Matrix. Thanks. They're actors. It's not who they really are. They're acting like they respect him. They're acting like they know he has the right answers and they believe he's going to give them the right answers. He sees through their hypocrisy. What does this mean for you and for me? It means if you don't want to be a hypocrite, you just do the same things that you say. But if you say one thing and do another or you try to act a certain way around certain people, then you could be a hypocrite. I have a list of five things that you might be a hypocrite this morning. No, I'm just kidding. That's for you to decide. Look at, are you acting? Are you putting on a show? They were. Jesus saw right through it. But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see (laughs) Jesus. He even asked them, what are you trying to do? You silly little guys. The Pharisees have a question about taxation because they were fair, you see. (laughs) They wanted the right funds to go to the right people in the right places. And Jesus, why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. 
And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Whose inscription is on here? Caesar's. Well, if Caesar's picture's on it, then give it to him. <laughs> it must be his. If you find something with my picture on it, what, what, do you, what does that tell you? Either somebody really likes me for some odd reason, or it's mine. There's a little place, I just got a, a new moleskin. You guys have moleskins journals? Oh man, those are the best. I got, just got a new moleskin journal, and in the front, it has a little place where you can put reward. And, and uh, so I put the little thing in, and it, and it has your, your name and your phone number, and your can't contact information if it gets lost. I just put a big picture of my face on there, you know? They'll know, you know, they'll know. It's me, I'm just kidding. <laughs> on, on a side note, though, I, I did actually lose a moleskin once. We were in Croatia, and I didn't have that little part filled out that said reward, but I still got it back. Long story, anyway, I don't know why I said that. Back to chapter 12. They wanted to be fair, you see. What should we do? Who should we pay? Isn't that a question that we have also today? With taxes and money. Such an age-old question. Jesus says, for the things that belong to this earth, leave it here things that are God's, give it to God. You see, we're going to close with another little illustration or example when it comes to giving, but you see, when, when you tithe or when you give, it's not because you want to give money to God to impress him, you're making a sacrifice. It's because if you're a believer, even if you're not a believer, but it's because if you're a believer, it's not yours anyway. It's not yours anyway. It's like, here, God, have a little bit of your money back. <laughs> Give to the world what's the world's. Give to God what's God's. God, I am what I am today. I have what I have today because of you. And I love you. And I want to share that with you. You, you want to know what my life looks like? Everything that I value and I treasure in life that God has given to me, I want to share it with my wife. You know Why? Because I like her. She's pretty. She smells good. She's fun to hang out with. And I want to share those things. Here's the good things that God's given us. I want to share it with you. We have to look at our giving and our tithing in the same way. What you have right now, the only reason you have it is because God has given it to you. He loves you. He blessed you. And he wants you to be able to share some of it with him. Because ultimately what you're doing is you're sharing it with others, right? Give to Caesar's what is Caesar's, and then give to God what is God's. They marveled at him. Verse 18, then some Sa Sadducees who say there's no resurrection came to him, and they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and dying, he left no offspring. And the second took, a, took her, and he died, nor did he leave any offspring. And then the third likewise. So the seven had her and left no, offspr uh, no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as a wife. 
probably the stupidest question. <laughs> like, I'm reading this, I'm like, how could they even think that this, they don't even believe in the resurrection. You know why they were sad, you see? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They were sad, you see? They were sad. They weren't looking forward to eternal life. They believed that when the soul died, it was dead, and that was it. And if there was going to be any kind of eternal life, it was going to be in, in that context that they saw. They were sad. So remember the law says that the brother's accountable has to bear children to propitiate the name of the family, la, 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 la. And Jesus, you know, look at his response. Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? What a way to respond to a stupid question. Sorry for the S word a couple times, you know. Don't usually say that. I'm sorry, Thomas. I forgot you were sitting in here this morning. What a, what a question. Jesus says, you're misunderstood because you do not understand the scriptures. These were people who prided themselves on knowing what the word of God said. Or supposedly. These were people who had not encountered or experienced the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead, but concerning the dead, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage? Jesus even tells them where it's at. Hey, if you guys didn't check this part out, the part about the burning bush. Go read that, because God talks about the resurrection. How God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. He holds accountable. The first issue of the seven, the authority. The second, accountability. Third, was taxes. And the fourth here, we see everybody has these questions about marriage, even today, right? We just talked about that a few weeks ago. Marriage. And they try to bring this crazy situation to him, and Jesus instructs them very directly. So we see that he has addressed, number one, the Pharisees. He's addressed, number two, the Sadducees, and now he's going to address the third party, the scribes, showing us that he is willing and able to contend with anybody that has anything to say or question uh, that they have for him. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, <coughs> The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth. For there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offering and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. This guy, this scribe, is a, a little bit in a different place than the other guys. They also prided themselves. They were scribes. They prided themselves on knowing the word of God. And it's not completely contentious like some of the other things that we just saw happening between, you know, this tension. You don't even know what you're talking about or the power of God. It's, it, there's a little bit more of a, a, a congenial discussion that's happening between Jesus and this, this scribe. But at the end, Jesus doesn't pull any punches and he says to him, you are not far, Right. You are not far from the kingdom of God. What an interesting thing to say. I wonder if he was able to sleep that night. I'm not far. I thought my answer was really good. I, I figured, like, I'm, I'm there already, you know? Like, I've arrived. I know what I'm talking about. He didn't even have anything else bad to say to me. Here's, here's the thing, and this is important. I see this sometimes today in, in churches, sometimes, Right? You can have all of the right information. You can know all the right things to say, but there still can be a deficiency. It's not knowing the information. It's not knowing the Bible. It's the application. Without application of what we learned this morning, as you go home and think about it for the rest of the week and you pray through what God wanted to teach you, what he's bringing you in, if, if you're not able to apply it to your life, now don't take this the wrong way because it's going to sound mean, but I just, you know, I've been reading about Jesus and, you know, rebuking people and stuff and it just kind of got me in the mood, but. <laughs> if you're not able to apply it, then you might as well not even have come this morning at all. You might as well not be here. Because if we're not going to take God at his word and say, this is what needs to happen in my life. This is something that he addressed. And this isn't the one point that Pastor Tim made. This isn't the thing that Pastor Tim said to me that he said to everybody else that I need addressed. No, each and every single one of you in here, maybe you do have the same thing, but for the most part, each person in here, God is working a different work in your heart right now. And he's addressing it as you go through life and bringing it up. You're kind of sweeping it away. <laughs> At least that's what I do sometimes. I'm just being honest. Like, God, can I address that later? Can we talk about that again at another time? He's like, Tim, it's not about information, bro. It's application, yo. It's got to be. For you and for me, if there's no application, then there's no benefit, and there isn't a continued right relationship 
with our Heavenly Father who died on the cross for our sins. What is it for you today? What is it for me? I'm not telling you. You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. Then Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord. How is it he then is his son? And the common people heard him gladly. That's one of those points that you could, if you'd like, if you're taking notes, you can underline that. What, why does it have special meaning? Because the religious elites like to elevate themselves above everybody else. Jesus is speaking down to their level now, just like he does for you and for me. He speaks down to our level. He addresses things that people want answers, up, uh, answers about. Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And if, if, if we're going to talk about it, you know, Jesus says, if we're going to talk about it, we've got to talk about everybody. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, this is how the scribes act. And I'm instructing, this is Jesus saying, I'm instructing you guys to be careful. Because how they look is not how a servant of God is supposed to look. We can see in our lives, people who, who uh, in great pomp parade themselves around like they're somebody special, they're usually not really that special. I'm sorry. Jesus, being the Son of God, brought himself down to our level, suffered through the same things that you and I suffer through on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. He was in all ways tempted. And you say, always? Well, I'm tempted in this way, and Jesus wasn't tempted like that. You don't know that. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way that you are tempted, yet was without sin. I believe that. I can't imagine what it would be like to be the son of God and have to, to be around a bunch of stinky, nasty people who, who cleaned up nice and looked great, but on the inside they were dying, they were dead. Jesus is trying to help them. He's not necessarily condemning them, although we did read that word, didn't we? It's a warning. Hey, don't harden your heart, guys, like these other people have. Don't look at how people can serve you. Look at how you can serve others. And I don't just have to tell you that, again, saying Jesus. Jesus doesn't just have to tell them that. Jesus lived that. He lived serving others. And when we live, if we want to be true disciples of Jesus Christ, what's going to mark us and set us apart from everybody else is that we're going to live to serve others. We're going to live to help others. We're going to live to support. And you don't even have to do it in your own strength, okay? God is going to give you the capacity that you need to pour out into other people's lives. 
Everybody wants the authority. Nobody wants the accountability. And everybody wants to be served. A disciple of Jesus Christ does not look like that. And he's warning them. The last thing, look at what these guys were doing. The last thing he says, who devour widows' houses. Take advantage of people. You know what a widow was in that day? A woman who, who lost her husband, her husband was the sole pro- proprietor for. He, he was the one that was going to take care of her. And now whatever she had left was supposed to last her for the rest of her life. And here comes this scribe who's holy, takes advantage of her to take what she has as her inheritance. Isn't that miserable? These people were supposed to be men of God. Unfortunately, for you and for me, I don't know about you, I hope not, but I've seen people who claim to be Christians or men of God treat other people like this. And you don't have to get too upset because Jesus said it himself in that last verse that we just read. These will receive greater condemnation. Why greater? Because they thought they had a greater level of authority. There's going to be a greater level of accountability. These people were doing and saying these bad things, these terrible things, in the name of God. Can you believe Jesus warns them for their own sake, and then we'll wrap it up in verse uh, 41 through 44. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make uh, quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, but in all that she had her whole livelihood. The, the wording, the language here in the Greek isn't that she put in more than the others. What it means is that she put in more than all of them together put in based on what she had given. These two mites, this very little in most of the people's, you know, in the most of the people's view in that time could be equated to about uh, the same as a couple bucks, like two dollars, something off the value menu or something. This is how poor she was. You know, what, you know what the good thing about having two of something is? You know what the good thing about having two of something? You can give one, but you can keep the other, right? If you got two bucks, somebody asks you for money, what do you say? Well, let me see if I have any money. Well, I got two bucks. Here, you have one. I'll keep one. <laughs> is that what she did? No, she didn't. She gave everything that she had. And I find in my life, especially when it comes to giving, I look at my bank account, and I say, these are my bills that I have to pay, which is a good thing. You know, like, I want to I wanna be careful with, with my bills and how much money I spend and stuff. This is my bills that I have that I need to pay, and, and this is what's left over at the end, and, and this is how much I can give to the Lord. 
But you know what the problem with that is? The, that's never the concept of tithing in the Bible. Conce- the concept of tithing, tithing in the Bible is to give of your first fruits. So that means you get the money, then you give to God, and then you have everything else worked out. You don't give it to him at the end of the month after you get paid. You give it to him at the beginning, right when you get it. Now, I know how talking about tithing makes some people feel uncomfortable, and I'm sorry about that, but we don't, we don't pass the plate here. We have a little box in the back. You can't even barely tell what it is. It's not to drum up, you know, money in the church. This is actually for your benefit. When we come across it in Scripture and we talk about it, it's for your benefit to know that what you have right now, you could lose in a second. It could be gone. It's not even really yours anyway. Think of it this way. Even if you have a bunch of stuff and uh, something bad happens and you lose a bunch of stuff, that's still not as bad as you having a bunch of stuff and then dying. Because you can't take any of that stuff with you anyway. It doesn't matter. So Jesus looks at this woman, and basically what he's just done is he's compared her to the people that he was just talking about, the scribes. Didn't he just say that they would take advantage of a widow? Wouldn't it be incredible, which I'm sure that it's not too far-fetched. I don't want to inject anything that's not there. But wouldn't it be incredible if she was a widow that a scribe took advantage of and the last thing that she had to give, she gave to the Lord? Man, that would be awesome. Do you know why? Because God's going to take care of that woman. God's going to not only continue to love her and provide for her on a material level, but she has a far greater relationship with God than those other people do. The right kind. So when we think about that, when we look at it, the last one is giving. We have to check our own hearts and say, God, what have I given to you? What am I giving to you? What do I hold back for myself? And where and what place should I be to be able to give to you in a way that's healthy. Because listen, if you're begrudgingly given to the Lord, he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Also, that word could be translated hilarious. One of my favorite Bible studies by Pastor Chuck Smith. The Lord loves a hilarious giver. Somebody's hilarious. Somebody who's hilarious is somebody who's intentional. Somebody who does things for a purpose. Lord, where am I at? The seven things I skipped to, I apologize if you're taking notes. I didn't skip them in the text, but I didn't read them out loud to you. Number one, authority. Number two, accountability. Number three, taxes. Number four, marriage. Number five was requirements. What is required to get into heaven? Remember the guy said, you know, hey, that's a good answer, Jesus. And Jesus was like, you know, you're near the kingdom. What are the requirements? Jesus. Jesus is the requirement. And then number six, beware the warning about the scribes. Number seven is giving. I want to encourage you, whatever the Lord wanted to speak to you today, that you hold on to it this week, that you ask more questions about it, not to Google or Siri, but to him. Man, I love technology, you know. I got a question, I just ask the interwebs, and it tells me everything. But if you're not feeling good, don't type anything in the interweb box. 
because you're going to die, apparently. Every symptom you have leads to death always, whenever I look it up, so don't do that. But instead of asking questions to each other, to the internet, to whatever, ask the Lord. Lord, what, what is this thing that you're doing? Why is my heart pricked every time this issue comes up? How can I adjust to have my heart in line with your heart so that I can not only be like you, I can love like you and serve like you as well? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for addressing the issues with these terrible people. And Lord, we also thank you for addressing our issues. We thank you for keeping us accountable. We thank you for teaching us about your authority and authority in general. God, we don't ever want to be the kind of people in your church, this church, where there becomes a hierarchy, where there becomes people who are holy and people who are unholy. God, we are all unworthy. You alone are worthy. We all have issues. You alone have answers. God, we love you. And we thank you for, for teaching us, for guiding us, for correcting us, for helping us. We need your help. And whatever the issue is today for me, God, I pray that you would Help me work through it. I want to work through it with you. I want you to teach me so again I can be like you in Jesus' name. Amen.